0: Hello and thanks for joining us for the December 2016 episode of the Poverty Research and Policy podcast from the Institute for Research in Poverty at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm Dave Chancellor. For this episode, we're going to be talking about how social service agencies, for example, can use administrative data as a tool to help predict risk among the people they serve. To help us learn more about this, I talked to Tim Maloney, who is a visiting scholar at IRP this fall. Maloney heads the School of Economics at the Auckland University of Technology in New Zealand and co-directs the Center for Social Data Analytics with Rima Vaithanathan there. Uh, The Center for Social Data Analytics has already undertaken large projects both in New Zealand and in the United States involving predictive analytics. And to begin, I asked Maloney to tell us about the kind of work we're talking about here.
1: Predictive analytics is all about trying to use available administrative data to, as accurately as possible, predict these future outcomes of interest, whatever those things might be. So in our case, for example, we're looking at historical relationships between these pre-existing factors, historical records, and, say, the probability of uh, substantiated maltreatment or the probability of being referred to social welfare, or having a child placed in foster care. So those are the sorts of things that we care about. That's the sorts of things that we want to predict. And we're just using whatever data available in the most efficient manner possible to predict those outcomes of interest.
0: Much of Maloney and his colleagues' current work using predictive analytics stems from a project they did in 2013 for New Zealand's Ministry of Social Development, or MSD. So
1: what we were asked to do was to use available administrative data in New Zealand to try to predict the probability of substantiated maltreatment of children. So the idea is that MSD said that we've got a lot of data available and we don't know really how to organize it to be particularly predictive of the outcomes that we care about and being able to monitor uh, the maltreatment investigations and interventions that that we undertake. So they made the data uh, data available to us and we were able to come up with a predictive risk model that turned out to be quite predictive of uh, potential maltreatment for children and that's largely because of the quality of the linked data that we had available to us. So this Linked data from uh, social welfare, from health, from judicial and criminal sources, from previous maltreatment for children and other allegations that were made. And we were able to use this in a systematic way to come up with a a particularly effective predictive tool. We were hoping that this tool would actually be implemented and be used by MSD in trying to investigate cases and to somehow rank the relative risk that individuals had in this area but up to this point it's met some resistance both internally and externally to the ministry and it hasn't been implemented but we think and hope that it will be implemented at some point in the future
0: Around the time they were finishing up this work in New Zealand with MSD, there was an RFP, or a request for proposal, from Allegheny County in Pennsylvania, which is basically the Pittsburgh metro area, looking for a predictive risk model to help child welfare call screeners make decisions about the calls they were receiving.
1: And Allegheny County wanted something very similar to what the Ministry of Social Development wanted in New Zealand, which is to use this linked administrative data to come up with a predictive tool they they could use a call screening. So the idea is that a call comes in to the hotline alleging potential maltreatment. And obviously because of scarce resources, they've got to make difficult calls about whether or not particular calls get investigated and, and potential interventions occur as a result. They're actually obligated to look at all the available data on these individuals to decide whether or not there's sufficient evidence to investigate. The problem is there's really a lot of data out there. There's lots of things that can be looked at, and it's hard to summarize this. It's hard to um, obviously scrutinize all the data that are available, and the call screeners obviously don't know what's particularly predictive or what's not. So the idea is that we would use a statistical process to essentially combine all this information and then give call screeners a, a single score, which would allow them to know whether these particular cases are high risk or not.
0: One of the things that's allowed Allegheny County to explore this type of predictive analytics tool for their child welfare call screeners is the strength of the county's administrative data.
1: Allegheny County is quite unique in the sense they have a sort of integrated data management system, a little bit like what we have in New Zealand. So it's not just a particular agency or department that's providing the data. We have data from a a wide array of groups. So this includes data on social welfare outcomes, um, past allegations of maltreatment. We have information about behavioral health issues, um, information from the hospital sector, and so forth. There's a, really a large array of data that sort of gets fed, fed into this this predictive risk model.
0: Although this project was quite similar to their initial effort in New Zealand, Maloney cautions that you can't necessarily plug a new data set into an existing model and set of techniques and expect it to be accurate.
1: We've gone through a number of different Estimation procedures to figure out what works best. And I should say that one of the things that I think is kind of unique about our team is that we're quite agnostic as to what procedure or process we use in coming up with this risk tool. So we use the standard regression analysis, econometric analysis that economists and and a lot of other um, quantitative. Uh, people would would typically use, but we're also considering sort of non- statistical techniques, um, machine learning, random force procedures, and basically we've said right from the outset that we'll use whatever tool works best, whatever is most predictive. So rather than deciding exactly what the methodology should be from the outset, we're exploring a range of methodologies that might be uh, might yield really much better results in this predictive process. Because in the end, it's all about being as accurate as you can in using the available da- data to predict
0: these future outcomes. The model Maloney and his colleagues developed for Allegheny County is now being taken a step beyond their New Zealand project. It's actually being used by the call screeners in fielding the day-to-day calls they receive. And then the tool's effectiveness is being evaluated.
1: We have an independent team that's going to do the evaluation. So that those of us who are responsible for developing this predictive risk tool basically step aside and let others come in and decide whether it's particularly useful, what potential issues might arise in the actual day-to-day use of this predictive risk tool. So I think that's an important part of this process that you really do need others who are sort of um, at arm's length from the actual um, development Process to come in and do the the evaluation work.
0: This evaluation can potentially help alleviate some of the concerns that have been identified with predictive analytics. Maloney notes that although predictive analytics may offer a lot of promise, there's also discomfort around government agencies using administrative data for these kinds of purposes. It is a highly
1: controversial area, and we have had uh, meetings with the general public, with interested parties to get their sense about what they are most concerned about in terms of using predictive risk analysis and it comes in a variety of forms. I mean one of the things I think that really bothers a lot of people is that um, it seems like we're potentially uh, abetting, uh, siding with with the authorities that are providing limited funding to this particular area. So the idea is that, that there have been cutbacks in funding and as a result you know, maybe there's an attempt to use these predictive analytic tools to maybe more efficiently uh, deal with the scarce resources that are available. Um, we get the same criticism in university sectors, right? So you get a big cutback in your funding, and you try to figure out ways of being more efficient, more cost effective. Um, but I think those sorts of things are, to some extent, independent of the funding. Issue because in any funding regime, whether you had lots of money or very little money, you'd want to use things efficiently. You want to do things as, as best you can.
0: Money says there's also concern about the repurposing of previously collected administrative data for other purposes. So people who are providing
1: data um, aren't really informed about this potential alternative use for the information they're providing. But the important thing is that the data that we're using is collected routinely as part of some other formal process we're not talking about collecting new kinds of data being more um um but intervening more and, and trying to be more i don't know investigative i guess and and providing different kinds of data this, this is all these are really data that already exists for some other purpose
0: Beyond the data itself, there's also concern with the way the models are constructed, particularly regarding the possibility that they might reflect racial disparities.
1: And that's certainly true when you're looking at allegations of maltreatment, child abuse, neglect, and so forth. Um, And it's one that we've taken on directly. So one of the interesting issues here is, do you include indicators of race in a predictive risk model? So you have lots of information about past outcomes, education, uh, um, criminal actions, past allegations of abuse. But race is also in the model as well. What we found is that once you condition on all these other factors, once you have a complete history of things like alcohol abuse, um, treatment for, for mental health issues, uh, allegations of past abuse and so forth, race turns out not to be all that important. So although there, there are racial disparities in a lot of these things, once you control for a wide array of other factors, race turns out to be not that important.
0: Maloney says there are ethical issues associated with this work and not just those related to what happens with the data and with the related analysis once it's completed. So
1: we have somebody from... Um, from an ethical background who's already provided several reports on the work that we've done. Um, And one of the things I think that's come up clearly in, in at least some of the reports is that there really is an ethical issue on the other end of the spectrum of if you could do this with available data, not doing it is obviously a concern. So if you could identify somebody who's really high risk at the time of a call screening process, uh, and not intervening on that, not investigating that outcome, that's potentially problematic. So that's an ethical issue. So you're sort of, they're ethical issues both in terms of what you do when uh, with the risk screening Uh, Tools, but also what you would do if you could do it and didn't do it.
0: With that in mind, Maloney says that one of the interesting things about this work is to think about how a predictive risk tool performs relative to, say, existing ways of screening calls.
1: So there's already a process in place. I mean, they have to make decisions currently without this predictive risk tool about who gets investigated and who doesn't, who gets screened in, who gets screened out. So one of the things that we tried to do is kind of validate our approach relative to existing approaches by looking at objective outcomes, like, for example, um, what are called Act 33 outcomes, uh, deaths or near deaths from, say, abuse that happens at some point in the future. The problem is it's a very limited way of validating because, fortunately, there are very few episodes of deaths or near deaths in our data set. We're currently looking at hospital data with the hope that we can look at certain episodes that are reported as people are admitted to hospitals that might be indicative of maltreatment as an alternative way of validating our model. Because ultimately, they'd like to know how well does your model stack up relative to the existing approaches that are used in call screening. Um, And I've got to say that the preliminary work shows that our our predictive risk tools are substantially better, much more predictive of the things that we really care about.
0: The director of the Allegheny County Department of Human Services, Mark Turner, said in an interview with PBS's NewsHour earlier this year that the potential for this tool is just enormous and that this is the new frontier. Thanks to Tim Maloney for taking the time to talk about it with us. This podcast was supported as part of a grant from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation, but its content should not be construed as representing the opinions or policy of that office or any other agency of the federal government or the Institute for Research and Poverty. To catch new episodes of the Poverty Research and Policy podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. You can also find all of our past episodes on the Institute for Research and Poverty website. Thanks for listening.